time has come for drag queens to save the world. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars is back on Paramount Plus, and for the first time ever, I want you to use your talent for good for a change. <laughs> Eight iconic queens are competing for the charity of their choice. This is how you do drag. Who will slay it forward, win cash for their favorite cause, and a coveted spot in the Drag Race Hall of Fame. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. New season now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Us. It's UFC 249 Fight Week, and it's the State of Combat Podcast on CBS Sports, getting you covered, getting you prepared and fired up. Pro Sports, back at it. Live action. Can't wait. It's the Brian Campbell, the voice that you hear. And joining me on this 249 voyage, the Hall of Famer himself, the Earthquake Survivor, the champion Rashad Evans. Rashad on a 1-10 to in terms of your fired up level to get a little bit of normalcy back in your life this weekend, where are you at? I'm, I'm off the charts, and, and it's, I'm off the charts for one. We get live sports back for another reason because it's in my home state, Florida. So, I mean, it's just a hop, skip, jump, and sniff the action. I can't go there yet, but I can get close enough to the arena just to sniff the action. Absolutely. Uh, UFC making a first appearance in Jacksonville this, this week. Weekend, uh, Veterans Memorial Arena. No fans will be present, but the pay-per-view will be uh, well anticipated as it took a long way to get here, Rashad. As we know, the last few weeks and months going through this unprecedented state. But we're here. We're ready. We don't have to talk COVID anymore. We can talk fights. And when you talk about this fight card, and believe you, by the way, the State of Combat has you covered this week. Not only your preview right here, we got interviews with the big names, including UFC President Dana White, uh, Donald Cowboy Cerrone and much more coming your way. Uh, Rashad, let's start right off the top here. Not going to be Habib Nurmagomedov, Tony Ferguson, part five. But talk about a consolation prize. An interim lightweight title bout as Ferguson prepares to face Justin Gagey. What the heck are you going to expect from this one? I mean, this is a fight fan's dream. This is a matchmaker dream. This is a promotional dream because you know that these guys are going to come out there and they're going to lay it on the line. I mean, you have Tony Ferguson. He's action-packed, nonstop, go from standing up to the ground, on the ground. He has a very active guard. So even if you do take him down, you can't rest and you can't work on any solidifying any ground upon positions because he has that ability to reverse you and get caught up in his his funk jujitsu. It's not even regular jujitsu, it's funk jujitsu. So it makes it that much more dangerous because practical escapes only put you in further into the funk. So you don't want to mess with him on the ground. But on the feet, that's where I feel like Justin Gaethje has the ability to stop this fight. You know, Justin's been doing some good things his last fight, creating angles on his punches. Before, he would get caught in the 50-50 zone where he's sitting there and he's punching on the line, and, and he would come out on top, but sometimes he get caught, as we've seen the Dustin Poirier fight and the Eddie, and the Eddie Everest fight. So now he's getting more angles, and, and he's working with Trevor a little bit more, working on getting those angles. So now he's getting out to the angles and landing those devastating shots that we've seen early out, but not taking the damage. And a Dust, Justin Gaethje not taking the damage and landing shots, 
I mean, that is a dangerous Justin Gaethje. That is going to be. And look, the, ele- the, the expectations for fireworks and violence right off the start are huge. I mean, this, <laughs> this is the ultimate consolation prize, seriously, because Skin Tony yeah. versus Habib fall apart, heartbreaking to any fan. To get this fight, which, by the way, really matters. You got uh, Gaethje, as you mentioned, three-fight win streak, all first-round knockouts. He's evolved as a fighter. Ferguson, nobody hotter at 12 fights in a row. He has won in the deepest, in most competitive division maybe ever in UFC history. You got the interim title at stake. You got the whole idea that this is one of those wake your neighbor. This could be fight of the year, fight of the decade, and we don't say that lightly. These are two all-action performers at the very highest level. Uh, There's an argument to be made, Rashad, that just from the standpoint of how these two match up, it may be, we want Tony Habib more than anything, but this may be a better fight at the end of the day. I got to ask you the elephant in the room question. Short training camp, unprecedented nature of the build to this fight. They thought it would be in California. We thought it would be on Fight Island. We had no idea where it would be, yet these fighters stayed by the phone and stayed ready the best they could. How much will that, along with the empty arena, potentially play into this fight? Because you could argue Tony Ferguson is putting everything he has accomplished on the line in terms of finally getting that title shot, going all in once again against Justin Gaethje. How much should we look into what that's going to do to the fighter's psyche? Um, I think that, you know, I, I look at it as, as that, you know, the fighters, they're not competing under normal circumstances, but I think with the circumstances that we're all looking at, I think these fighters are looking at this from a positive standpoint and, and coming in this with the, with the idea and mindset thinking that, okay, this is my opportunity to make that big splash because right now, you know, a lot of the competition can't come over here. So a lot of the fights are going to be here in the United States. So, you know, guys that are savvy enough that want to push and make a name in a weight class that's not highly ranked. This is their chance. This is their moment to to, to etch their minds and in, in their uh and the people who who rank them and 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 the fans and stuff like that. So I think the fighter's gonna go on this with a mindset that wanna show and wanna perform. You know, they wanna show the world that, you know, despite what we're all going through, you know, we will get through this. And I think that. That's that's what a lot of fighters are putting on their in their heart, and that's the way they're going to fight when they get out there. So I think that this right here, this fight card is going to be something that you know is going to be talked about for a long time. In the respects that it's going to be one of those blockbuster cards that we are talking about for the next few next few months. Yeah, it's 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 deep as as heck up and down the lineup. There are preliminary fights on here that you just need to see, no question. I'm less concerned about, look, I mentioned a gamble. For Tony Ferguson, it's a gamble. Uh, could he have followed Habib Nurmagomedov into just, look, now is not the right time. It's hard to make this work with the unprecedented nature, the, the flights, the state in, in, in national laws and the, and the things holding you back. I'll take this fight later in the year. Ferguson could have done that. He just wants to always prove that he's the baddest guy in the room, and he's basically like, not only am I going to cut weight, a week and a half ago for a fight that's not even happening yet to prove to you that I'm a badass. I'll take on the guy that nobody really wants to take on to Justin Gaethje to win what? To win what he's already accomplished, Rashad, which is a shot at Habib. Other guys, I would be a little bit concerned that uh, it's too much of a risk. It's going to mentally backfire. But let's just talk about what I just mentioned. 
Ferguson got on the scale for the original date of this fight card just to prove to everybody that he's on championship weight 155. Uh, he's crazy in all the right ways that you need in a cage, meaning he can take on the punishment. He can go into the deep waters and he likes it. That's where he lives. Um, if there's anyone I'm going to bet uh, with, bet on that, that this will not hold them back. It's got to be Tony Ferguson. So that doesn't, that makes this fight certainly close on paper but I still believe Tony's the better fighter at the end of the day. So as long as he can toe that line without allowing Justin to drag him too deep, I kind of like him heading in there. What do you think the new Justin Gaethje can do that blows that storyline up in the air to really make this uh, not just a great fight for us entertainment, but to give him a shot at getting closer to that title? I think the way that uh, Justin's been fighting has been perfect. You know, he's been fighting guys that have the long reach and have that build like, like Tony Ferguson, you know? Um, and, and so I think he has the ability to get inside and I think he's going to be able to create the angles. I think that one thing that Justin Gaethje does, no matter who he's fighting, he has the ability to lure whoever he's fighting into that 50, 50, just sling him. And you got a guy as in Tony Ferguson, who's super game, you know, this guy made weight, as you're saying, when there was no need to make weight. And as you're saying, he's jumping in this opportunity to fight just because he needs a fight. You know, he wants to fight. So this is a guy who's not going to be backed down by any, by in, in any measure of the fight. So when the, the, the chance is prevent, pre, uh, presented where they're in that exchange, he's going to go for it. And I think that's where Justin Gaethje has the opportunity. And I think that's where Justin Gaethje will seize that opportunity because Justin hits hard and hits with really, really bad intentions. Um, the thing that I like about Tony that, that makes me feel as if like, uh, you know, his past work and the fact that he's had a longer camp to really dedicate to just training his mindset and his body. He, he's a fighter who can take some damage, but then continue to keep his pace and get stronger and stronger and stronger when his competition phase. And that's the, that's the problem that I worry about with Justin Gaethje because he's been training, but his training camp has not been with the same forethought as, as Tony Ferguson. So it's a different kind of quality of the training. You know, when you're training just to train or when you're training to fight Habib, one of the best fighters of all time, the, the intent is different. So I, I think that, you know, Justin Gaethje is going to have to make Tony f- fighting his his fight you know and just make and, and initiate that exchange but be smart and get on angles yeah if you're if you're a tony ferguson fan the only fear that you have is that you know as always that he falls too much in love with his chin and ability to take damage because this is the wrong guy to get into it <laughs> drag it out slam it out find out who has the the biggest backbone so to speak and go after it but You've heard Justin Gaethje mention the short training camp. I think it was just a couple of weeks ago in an interview. He said publicly, look, I, you know, I don't know if I have five rounds in me at that pace. I may only have 18. I, I mean, for some reason, he knew the exact number. He settled it in, Rashad, on 18 <laughs> minutes of hell that he can put Tony through. But here's the deal. I'm not looking past Justin's evolution. The stuff Trevor Whitman has done to make him just a little more patient, a little bit more precise in his setups has been brilliant. Sometimes, though, when the ish hits the fan, you are who you are. Right, and you're right. going to fall back into that guy. The two times we've seen Justin Gaethje solved in the octagon have been two gentlemen in Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier who needed to have equal levels of elite skill 
and elite toughness to want right. to go into hell and have a chance at outlasting uh, Gaethje. Tony Ferguson's that guy. So if we are under the premise that maybe Justin's gas tank won't be at, 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 at where you would want it to be for this, and maybe this fight gets a little crazier than it normally would have been given those circumstances, Tony's the kind of guy who can linger. And when you linger against Tony and the fight goes to the ground, you can get choked out pretty quick. You know, he can, he can put something on you right there. With that as the foundation, does, is, it, is it knockout or bust here early for Justin Gagey? Can he win in those deep waters that I just set up? Um, I, I think that as, as the rounds go, I think it definitely goes in the favor of Tony because he, he has, you know, that, that long game. Meaning the fact that he has the ability to take you down to the ground and gum you up and jam you up with a bunch of different, uh, you know, submissions attempt that you have to be smart to get out of. So that takes energy as well too. But, and, and that all goes into the favor of, of Tony, but, you know, Justin is a wrestler and he does have the ability to work his ground game. Now it's just a measure of the extent in which he's done it because, you know, I think that when we look at this fight, I think he'll have gas tank to go all day on his feet. But a fight with Tony Ferguson is a multi-level, multi-dimensional fight, meaning the fact that you're going to be going up and down, up and down, every which way, and fighting all different angles. And that's what tires you out. And that's what a lot of people can't handle when they face Tony Ferguson. It is not the, the, the skill for skill. It, it's more or less the funk that he throws and just hit his, his pace and, 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 his, and his mindset to just be uh, creative in there, you know? And I think those are the things that cause people problems. So as long as Justin Gaethje, he stays fundamental and make Tony fights in the spots that he wants and doesn't get caught with, with all that jujitsu on the ground or even standing up because as a taller fighter, he has the ability to drape over him and drape and, 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 and gum up his arms. And then Justin can find himself in a position of having to defend a submission where he wouldn't have had to defend one against a guy that was more of his size without the long, the long limbs, you know? So those are the factors that, that I think that Tony, you know, has the advantage of and, and Tony's going to have to go out there and, and initiate that kind of fight out the gate and not, and not go to look for that 50, 50, all right, we're going to slug it out early out. I think Tony's, opening move got to be maybe something crazy to initiate that 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 crazy chaotic pace of a fight because that's what you need against a Justin Gaethje because that will bring him into the that that frenzy mode which you want absolutely it's time to get to the prediction of this main event uh here's one predict well well, uh, my prediction pain first of all for both uh, (laughs) entertainment for all um I mean, look, it's a no-brainer to kind of do what I did off the start. Would be like, you know, this could be your fight of the year before it even happens. I mean, they are those guys. But just you know, previewing this with you, just thinking about like what this actually means for Tony Ferguson with that title window closing, thirty-six, going through the crazy injuries, coming back earlier than we thought possible, going through the personal life drama they had with the family domestic case over the past year. Um, just really blocking all that out and focusing on the task at hand. That only adds to how special this fight could be. I'm not willing to bet against Tony Ferguson at the end of the day. I think he's a higher skilled fighter with more ways to win. 
I think Justin Gaethje will have bigger moments early on, but I think Tony is going to roll with the punches as he always does. I can't get away from the idea, Rashad, that we're looking at a Tony Ferguson submission win in rounds three or four, and it's going to be wild to get there, and it's going to be worth the price of admission, but that this guy gets to that Habib fight eventually. Wow, that's 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 a that's a good prediction, and um, I, I, I like I like some of it. You know, I, I like the fact that this is that fight for Tony. This is that big fight for Tony, and Tony uh, he needs this fight um, for more than for more than than, than the reasons obvious reasons just to get a title fight, but just something inside of him just really needs to get over this hump. You know, it's a long time when you're when you've been out of the cage for that long, and you're looking to you know, get back to what you call normal, you know what I'm saying? Being able to fight. It, there's a lot that you're facing going into that cage. You know, there, there's, there's, there's a psychological, you know, parts that, that come apart, that come up that you didn't have to deal with before when you're fighting regularly. So all those things, they contribute to the, the overall chemistry of how you feel when you get inside the octagon. Now we, we, we look at Justin Gaethje on the other hand, who has been active and who has, you know, looking to fight and been chomping at the bit just to get an opportunity to fight on a stage as Tony Ferguson. So, you know, now you, I, I feel as if like when we look at the pressure, we look at Tony Ferguson having to to be more of a, on the defensive side when it comes to uh, beating Justin and getting his opportunity. But now you're looking at Justin Gaethje, who's looking at this for as a, as a win for all for him, he's already won a lot of because, you know, he was sitting at home on the couch, but now he's got tagged in to, 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 for an interim title belt. And, you know, he, he, he's, he's in pretty decent shape, but he's going to go for it. And it's the same thing he's done in his last fights, you know, before in his last fight, uh, last fight he had, he couldn't even see before the fight. He was literally blind, uh, you know, 24 hours before that fight. And, they, and, the, and the medicine just kicked in the day of the fight where he was able to see clear enough to go out there and fight Cowboy. But that's, but that's the kind of mindset that Justin Gaethje has. So I say that to say this. I train with a lot of people and they've all told me that Justin Gaethje is on another level right now. Ooh. And I trust that. And I trust that. Like they say that he's, he's just... He's just clicking on another level. So I'm going to go with Justin on this one because I like the fact that the pressure's not on him. And when the pressure's not on him, he fights at a different, a different level. Yeah, and he was looking to be the bridesmaid in a lot of ways in this division when he had, you know, arguably deserved a shot. Connor's lingering. We knew we had to get through Tony Habib, and now he has a chance to jump to the head of the line. Wow. Can't we? I mean, I just got, I just went from like 10 out of 10 to, to somehow even more <laughs> fired up for this. Uh, we're going to take a quick cause for the pause. On the other side, we're going to look at a must watch Bantamweight title bout and much more from this deep card. It's your boys, BC and Rashad. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It only takes two minutes of sheer horror. 
A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He's suffocating people with a pillows. Leaving corpses all over Texas. How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. And we're back. Just a reminder, the State of Combat has you covered on the front side, the back side, all the ways in between ahead of UFC 249. Believe that. Interviews this week with Dana White, Cowboy Cerrone, Anthony Pettis, Stipe Miocic. You don't want to miss any of that, but it's the preview pod right now. And Rashad, this Bantamweight title bout could could really headline any card, anywhere, anytime. It's Henry Cejudo making the first defense after knocking out Marlon Moraes to win the vacant belt. He's no longer the flyweight champion. He's focusing on 135. But we know how we got here, meaning he's not going to fight Peter Yan, Aljamain Sterling, Corey Sanhagen right now, or Jose Aldo, who he was originally signed up for. The veteran Dominic Cruz at 35 has cut the line, cut to the front of the get, – he's beaten the queue. He's here, whether you like it or not, and we've debated that in recent weeks. It's a great story. But can it be a great fight? We forget that Dominic Cruz is a big bantamweight. And we forget that Henry Cejudo, how long has he been a bantamweight? Five minutes? How does that play into this fight? Whereas up to now, all we're talking about is, does Cruz still have it at 35? Four years removed from the game. How about instituting what Cruz does best against Cejudo's style? How do you see this fight playing out? It plays out a lot more complicated than uh, than I originally thought at first, you know, because when I first thought about it, I was just thinking about, you know, just just the the overall um, development of Henry Cejudo, you know, how he's been developing it with his hands and, and in conjunction with his wrestling and finding that seamless transition where, you know, you, you start to see guys who start to pull away from the pack. They have, you know, they, they have that seamless transition between their striking and punching and their next their next technique. And that's what I was seeing in Henry Cejudo. But then you look at Dominic Cruz, who is leaps in, you know, head and shoulders beyond all of that. You know, when it comes to transitions, when it comes to movement, when it comes to all these different aspects of the fight game, Dominic Cruz has that advantage. You know, now the only thing that Dominic Cruz, you know, he's just not been active. And his body hasn't been tested. And, you know, that's not a small task to make up for because at the end of the day, training is training and fighting is fighting, you know, and and that's something that Dominic is going to have to overcome. But for the most part on paper, I think that this is a really, really tough fight for Henry. Um, I have seen some pictures of Henry uh, as of lately, and Henry looked as if like he's been hitting the weights pretty hard. So it looks as if like, you know, he's he's looking to maybe dominate this with his wrestling ability, you know, because he has that just waiting in the clutches and he can use that to pretty much out wrestle anybody. But he 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 uses it when he has to. And we've seen that when he fought Dominic. I mean, when he fought um, uh, Mighty Mouse, you know, we've seen him pull it out against Mighty Mouse and we all seen him pull it out against Marais. But I just think that Dominic Cruz is going to be a tough puzzle for him to fight, figure out early out. But. I think Champ Champ is is feeling himself right now. So yeah, that could be. It's hard to look past the youth and the freshness. And I know anyone saying, "Look, uh, Cejudo's not really that young. He's only a couple of years younger than Cruz." But you talk about mileage, uh, injury, time off, all that. 
Cruz is coming back as a, as an old man, and he's got he's going to have to prove a lot of things wrong. Going from four years of inactivity and injury to a five round championship fight, and a fight where his skill set look he's so awkward. He's got such a weird cadence and rhythm, yeah. and he's smart. It's going to be hard for Cejudo to, to figure that out early. But Cruz is not a big time finisher, you know, on this level where. Like for him to win this fight, he's probably got to do it over the distance. So it seems like an even more uphill battle when you consider Cejudo's been so active. He's been so red hot. I mean, you want to talk about the run of names Cejudo has beaten to get to this point. I don't care about the circumstances. If he wins on Saturday night, tell me a better four fight stretch than beating Demetrius Johnson, TJ Dillashaw, uh, a red hot Marlon Moraes. And if Dominic Cruz comes back in a great form, another great former champion. Um, it's so unfortunate that Dominic Cruz has only fought four times in nine years. He's like an, he's like an Olympic fighter at this point. It's like, you know, <laughs> he's so long to come back for one time. And, and the thing is, he's looked great each time in doing that. That break from 2011 to 2014, we had huge doubt. He blew away Takeya Mizugaki. Okay, so you say that's fine. Then he misses almost two more years, and he edges a prime TJ Dillashaw in a great five-round fight. We're asking a lot more of him now. Yeah. But if anybody could do it, Rashad, I, it's like you're torn between the reality of the situation. And yes, you should favor Cejudo in this fight. How many more times can this man do magic, Dominic Cruz? But if anyone can do it, I mean, I, I, I love me some self-help. Dominic Cruz interviews are basically like listening to Tony Robbins because you, get, <laughs> you, you start to believe that you can do anything, man. Right. I believe that this guy can do anything. I mean, you're going to pour some water on my fire here? What do you nah, got? I, listen, listen. I would not pour water on your fire at all. I would just say this. You know, Dom, Dominic Cruz, uh, he's been away from the sport four years, but he hasn't really been away from the sport. You know what I mean? In the respect that he's still given the, the attention and detail that you have to have whenever you're getting ready for a fight because he studies the game. And, he's, and, he's, and he switched and took off his – his, his training gear and he put on his coach's hat and he started to, you know, break down these fights and analyze all these different techniques and start. And when you start to do that, you start to uncover why your technique may not have worked or why or where it can work better. And you start to add things to your game. You know, I've become a better fighter since I've stopped, you know, since I, since I started to, you know, really pour into the dad and really start looking at all these different things. And, you know, now I'm training now. I'm like, man, I wish I would have did this when I was actually fighting, but that's what happens when you start to really put that energy into just the, 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 the mental side of it. And, and Dominic has done that. Um, but, you know, he, he's four years off is a long time. You know, I, I've, I've been off, you know, 16 months, you know, uh, two years, three years. And um, it's always hard to go in a fight after you've been off for so long. And, and it, it's hard because of the mental stress that goes along with it. You almost forget what it's like, even though you've been through it countless times, but you almost forget what that feeling is like on the inside and, and, and you, you go through it, but you keep on trying to feel what you call normal, but that's, that's not normal anymore because normal is, is um, your fight, like your, your mindset when you get ready to fight. So you have to adjust your mindset when it comes to to what you call normal. So uh, 
Dom is going to have to do that. Dom's going to have to just, you know, mentally be like, you know what? I've not been in a cage for four years, but I'm still focused and I'm still, and I can still do this, you know? Uh, if there, if, you know, if you're worried about Dom's gas tank, even with the time off, he's, he's notoriously one of the most fit fighters. He's gone the five round championship distance Rashad, in seven of his wow. last eight fights. And he's won six of those. So it's going to be hard to count that guy out, but man, we, we identified what an uphill battle this will be. It, it would not be a feel good story. It would be a feel great story. It would be one of the biggest, uh, emotional wins that UFC has ever had. If he can do it. Uh, it, I, I can't go. I can't go through with it though. And oh. he does because say what you will about Captain Cringe, Cejudo has improved. He's really worked on his boxing to add to his wrestling game. And I really thought Morais would be an uphill battle for him and his ability to shake off some early issue against a killer of a fighter and finish him. Look, I, I see a, another Henry Cejudo finish coming his way. I hope for Cruz's sake that he can put on a championship performance that he's used to. I hope it can spur him to more opportunities if his body holds up. But I like Henry Cejudo by mid-round stoppage. Where are you leaning when, when, when it all comes down to it on Saturday night? Well, emotionally speaking, you know I got to lean for Dominic Cruz because that is my coworker, that is my boy, that is my friend. But on a professional level, picking fights here, I got to go with Henry Cejudo and, you know, just looking, like you said, the tear that he's been on. And you said, who had, who could compare to anybody like that? You know, I only could think of John Jones, you know, and, and that's what we're looking at here in, in Henry Cejudo, not saying he's John Jones, but just the impact that he's making, you know, at 125 and now at 135, you know, he's, he's done the work and he's now believing in himself. And, and now that right there is the biggest recipe for disaster, his belief, because he already has the skill level tenfold. You know, when it comes wrestling, got that. You know, stand up striking, he's got that. He's gotten better. Now he's confident. Now he's believing in it. And I think that that's going to be a problem for Dominic Cruz, who hasn't been active enough and, and getting in the cage and just feeling what it feels like. And then here's another thing on top of it. it, it it's one thing to kind of, like when you get into the octagon and you don't, it feel, it's going to feel weird. There's no crowd there. There's a lot of weird things that's going to be just different. And who knows how Dom is going to take that not being in the cage. I mean, he might do better because there's no crowd and it may feel like practice. But at the same time, there's still that mental uncertainty of what's going to happen when you take that much time off out of the octagon. Great comparison to John Jones. That might be the the most untouchable stretch when you consider he beat five consecutive former or current light heavyweight champions in that stretch that included Shogun, Rampage, Machida, our boy Sugar Rashad, and then Vitor Belfort. I mean, are you kidding me? I'm not even talking Uh, about, you know, Chael and Gustafson and and Daniel Cormier after that, but how about just that five fight stretch? And no one no one is equal in that. I mean that and it was what was it? it took place, by the way. That five fight stretch in uh, like two years. I mean, like yeah. like, like a it's like crazy sick. Not even two full years. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. All right, let's look on down this card. It's loaded. Um, you, you of course have to love this heavyweight bout. Potential number one contenders bout: oh. Francis Ngannou, Jair Zeno, Rosenstruck. Uh, look, we talked to Steve Miocic. You'll hear that interview this week. Uh, spoiler alert ahead of this: He doesn't care who wins this because. He doesn't feel either of them can take his title. I respect the confidence. He also says, look, I'll fight DC a third time later this year, but 
I'm not emotionally connected to it. I don't care if I fight him again. Whatever UFC says I have to fight, I'm going to fight. So, look, Stipe, you're on the front line, man. You are, you are paramedicing and firefighting right now. Shout out to you. You're a man. Absolutely. Man. Shout out to Stipe. Um, what do you care about in this fight? Should the winner be next in line for a title shot? And there's been a lot of debate about the interim belts. I'm always against interim belts, especially when somebody isn't hurt because I just feel like it takes away from the meaning of the real belts. We don't have an interim belt here. Some people thought we should. Where are you at in terms of what's at stake or what should be at stake in this fight? I think that um, normally I'm against interim belts too, but there's some serious stagnation happening in the heavyweight weight class that it can't afford. Now you have to understand that. uh, I know you understand it. You can't. The heavyweight weight class is now, or it, it was recovering from the sleeper that it was before. You know, now it's getting more action to it. And, you know, with, with DC coming up and that whole thing, it's getting excited again. You know, it's getting the, the, the premier weight class where you want to watch. You know, the money's coming back into heavyweight fighting again. So I think in order to not jam it up, to not make it stagnant and, and make it so that people are not tuning in to watch it, I think you have to put it in turn. Uh, and, and turn belt up there, you know, especially if Stipe is not going to fight DC. I think there needs to be some space for, for, to allow that story to play out, but also let's, let's keep another story going too with some guys who may be in position to, you know, fight for a intern belt. And I think that's where, you know, um, it would be good because then at that point, if, you know, the intern belt happens to be uh, Francis, now imagine a Francis and whoever DC or CP meeting to that's that's that that right there that's a blockbuster. You know what I'm saying? That's a that's hit right fireworks. there. Every, no matter who it is, no matter how you set it up, that is fireworks. Give me that. Bang, 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 bang. Give me that. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Are right, you talking about storylines? Inganu's uh, arc is a storyline unto itself to get to this fight. Um, we all saw him lose to CP Miocic. 20, January 2018, it feels like, I mean, it's, it's two years ago. It feels more than that when you consider how far he's come. He knocks out Alistair over him. He's the Mike Tyson of MMA. They rush him into the title fight, although he did rock Stipe early, and I give him that, that credit. Um, look, that was not a good fight for him. It exposed a lot. Then he loses that sleeper to Derek Lewis. Sleeper meaning the fans were all sleeping. It was an awful fight. <laughs> you know, he went through being a pariah to UFC management. He went through a, a long emotional journey. What happened since then? He's sending fools to hell. Mm-hmm. Three straight first round KOs, all under 71 seconds or less. Curtis Blades, Kane Velasquez, Junior Dos Santos. And if he's able to do that once more this weekend, yes, please. Send him right to the title. Please give him that opportunity. A rematch with him against Stipe would be, it would be fantastic. His evolution has been incredible. Rashad, how much do you think it's been mental versus physical? You know, into like, yeah, you see more technique there, but he's blowing people away. It's not like we know if he can wrestle or not. Is, is it just all mental at this point? Um, it's definitely mental. And, and a mental switch allowed him to make the physical change, you know, but he needed to make the mental ch- the switch first. And it was just him having that fall. And, 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 you know, sad to say, sometimes we need to fall in order to stand back up stronger. And, and um, that's what he did. And now, you know, he's gaining so much confidence because he's, you know, 
rounded out the rest of his skill set. You know, now he's not worried about having those holes in his game because that that humble spot it completely destruct uh, destructed him where he had to build himself up from from ground level. So he's worked on all those skills. I seen him a few months ago. And, um, you know, I was working out with like training with him. I was just so surprised at how good he got on the ground. And, you know, there's things that I was looking at when, when I look at for, for people to see how they are on the ground, you know, where they bring the hips back to and, you know, where, where their instincts lead them back to. And his instincts were leading them into proper position. Like he was um, like he was understanding where he needed to be. And I was like, man, this is crazy because before he would get, you know, swept and stuff like that by people with half a size because he didn't understand all that. But now he's a beast on top too. So all of that is contributing to him just being more comfortable to, to go and fight the way he likes to fight. And now he's not even afraid to go in deep waters because when you solve the problem of, of, of not being able to wrestle, then you kind of, in a sense, solved your, your gas tank problems because that's where his gas tank issue was. It wasn't in throwing the punches. It was just that, that, that constricting the muscles and then letting them go. What do you do when the lactic acid fills your muscles up? How do you, how do you flush them? And he's been getting practice by just wrestling. Wow, you were rolling on the, on the mat with Frank the Tank there? Oh, man, he's a beast, man. He's a beast. He's, he's super huge. Well, the cool part about this matchup is we have an evolving uh, Nganu we don't know the level to, but he's impressing us. And then we got a Rosenstruck who's 32 years old, who may be where Nganu was a couple years ago, meaning he's raw, he's explosive. You don't really know how good he is, but you also don't know if that's ever going to matter. And what I mean by that is he had a main event opportunity in December against Alistair Overeem. Uh, for five rounds, he showed us some good, some bad from the standpoint of stamina, technique. Yet with four seconds to go in that fight, I mean, he landed the, the – you talk about a bomb. You talk about banging. Let me bang with somebody. I mean, he. I thought he, he – Alistair Overeem's lips got on separate planes to go to to go to eat. <laughs> um, it was impressive. It was it was a reminder that like Ngannou, you don't always need to be a, a, a finished product to keep winning fights and keep going to that next level. He's 10-0. What do you think right now is the difference between him and Nganu, all things considered, experience, stamina, uh, ground game, power. I mean, is this literally going to be two trains colliding and whoever hits the hardest wins? I mean, how do you see this fight playing out? Well, it, it, they're, they're very similar, but I would, I would give the, the biggest edge with Nganu with just a grappling and, and just a wrestling. I mean, you know, it, now this is saying a lot. France's grappling, understanding grappling is – way ahead of uh Jarzinho. From from when I work with Jarzinho, Jarzinho, he has made improvements, but the 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 amount of improvements that he's making, um, only thing that can help you with something like wrestling is just mat time. Just getting on the mat and doing it. And it, that's just time in general, you know? And Jarzinho hasn't had that. So when it comes to standing and banging and landing those shots, you know, he can land those shots and he has a lot of power to do so. And the thing about Jarzino, the way he punches, it's very deceptive because they're not very fast, but somehow they're fast and hard. I don't even know, I don't even know how to even make sense. Maybe just because they come after you catch you with one, they just come in rapid succession. I don't know. But 
he 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 has that something weird with getting hit by him because I, I would train with him and I'll spar with him. I'm just like, okay, he's got he's got a little it's a little different, you know, how he's able to catch people. And I see that now. Um, but when, when I look at this fight, I look at the fact that Francis is the bigger guy. And I look at the fact that Francis has the better wrestling. So if I'm going to be Francis coach, I'm going to say what we're going to do is we're going to put him against the wall and we're going to have him fight off the wall for about two, three minutes of the first round and just pop shot him on the wall. And then we're going to go out into the center of the octagon and we're going to see who has a better hands. That's and, the fight. And that's when everybody wins. And that's when <laughs> I mean, look, you know, it's got to be a coin flip. You know, there's, yes, there's a chance that they're two tough bulls and they're just going to bounce off each other and, and somehow find a way to go to the distance. I just don't see it when you consider everything involved, the shorter training camps. I think we get the knockout we expect. And I have to believe the run that Nganu's on that you got to lean that way. And, and, you know, I'm sure Rosenstruck learned certain things he needed to learn from those five rounds with Overeem, which would. But how about Rosenstruck even calling out? Like, who even, like, like, he's like, he wants to jump. Like, he's like, yo, oh, you don't want, oh, I want that guy. Wait, you mean the guy that no one wants to fight? Yeah, I want him. Yeah, these, that these right there just shows his mindset, you know? You heard that? It's like it's like the two largest, you know, lions in the jungle just 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 being, oh yeah, you, you're looking at me. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I cannot wait for this fight. Wow. Um I like Nganu, but it's not it's not it's not anything's gonna happen here. We're all gonna win at the end of the day. So shout out to this card. Um I feel the same way about Jeremy Stevens and Calvin Cater at Featherweight, Rashad. I feel like this is another just banger for us. Are there any extra nuances to this fight that have you that have your eyes perked? Um I I I think Cater's last fight when he fought as a beat after the the takeaway speaking to him afterwards, you know, he sounded as if like um like I got their fighter loses. When you talk to him afterwards, you can kind of get an idea of the projection of the fighter after that fight, you know? And after that fight, I got a projection of, you know, he's going to use that, that fight is going, that will, that fight he need to have had have happened because that fight just made him better. And when I got done from talking to him, he was talking about like, yo, listen, he's like, man, you know, the beat, he was weird at first, but, and the like at the end of the second and third round, he's like, I, I had him. I just, I just, it was there, you know. And now he knows in his mind, I gotta start this early because now I know, like, he knows he has a level. So I think Calvin Cater is gonna come out on this fight, and he's going to be sharp and he's going to be hungry. And Jeremy Stevenson is 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 must see TV already. I mean, look, the little heathen is is on a four fight stretch that I, I'm, I'm sure he'd like to put in the memory bank, you know, to get off the get off his ledger. He got stopped by Jose Aldo, loses a decision to Zabit, although he had some moments, and then the the two fights with the Ayer Rodriguez, the eye poke, and then of course he loses the decision in the in the three round rematch. Um, he's 33. He's at that point where a loss, you know, another loss added to this run would be really bad. But that's a guy where you add a little bit of um, desperation. To what he already brings to the table, that's not a guy I want to rumble with. So while I enter this matchup going, even though they're about the same age, Cater has the larger ceiling, the greater potential, the more that he learned from that Zabit loss, as you mentioned, I'm still not ready to say Jeremy Stevens is that gatekeeper because, man, right. I mean, you know, he's the type of guy who can break off a three-fight win streak. It's almost Cowboy Cerrone-like. As soon as you think he's 
he's turned that corner of negativity, he'll just come back with a run on you. So this to me is it's a flipping fight. And no, it is. It is. And, and, you know, speaking on little heathen, you know, he's, he's somebody who, who, who gets put in these fights where, you know, he's game to fight any kind of fighting style, but the best type of Jeremy Stevens is the Jeremy Stevens who does mix in his mixed martial arts and fight that well rounded mixed martial arts fight with the heavy emphasis on let him let me bang, bro. You know what I'm saying? If you let him bang, bro, and at the same time he's able to mix in his MMA, regular MMA, without it being all about banging, that's a very dangerous Jeremy Stevenson. And, uh, you know, he's even got some wrestling in there. He's even got some good wrestling that he doesn't use. And I'm like, dang, Jeremy, if you just started using – some of the stuff that I've seen that you have in, in your toolbox, you'll be able to present much more of a problem for these fighters that you're fighting. Yeah, I love that Jeremy Stevens keeps that chip on his shoulder. He, <laughs> yeah. he he's one of my he's one of my favorite interviews because it's inevitable in the interview that you will piss him off with a question you did not intend to, and he yeah. just carries <laughs> that chip on his shoulder and brings it right into bang. Uh, to close out this pay per view main card. Greg Hardy's always going to be a must-see TV interesting proposition. The embattled ex-NFL All-Pro. He's fresh off that decision loss in which it was a giant step up against Alexander Volkov. We didn't think he was ready. He lost. He lost wide, but he didn't embarrass himself. He's going to get an opportunity here against Jorgen DeCastro, who's 6-0, 33 years old, uh, won his Dana White contender opportunity, made his pro debut with UFC or made his UFC debut, excuse me, gets a knockout. It certainly doesn't have the, the resume to where you're going to favor him in this fight. How far away is Greg Hardy from us taking him serious? And we stop looking at it as just sort of an attraction fight. And how much danger do you see in this one? I think that we're pretty close to start looking at him, you know, looking at him as just a sideshow. You know, I think that, you know, his last fight, he didn't get the win and he did lose by a landslide, but it's how he lost to me that, that gave me hope for him in the future to let me know that this guy can be something, you know, because despite how technically uh, outmatched he was and experienced outmatched he was, he did make the fight pretty competitive. And there was a, a time where it looked like as if like he was still in the fight, you know, so it wasn't, he did do a lot of good things right in that fight. Um, so I think that that gave him a lot to go back and work on, you know, and I think that when it comes to getting better, how much you can go back and work on is a measure of success. So I think that he he's had a lot to go back on and he's the kind of guy who doesn't shy away about doing his homework either. So he's probably, you know, pushed himself to the limits to patch up them holes. So I think that this is a perfect matchup to showcase, you know, the growth of Greg Hardy. And the thing about the thing that makes watching Greg so special is this thing about the thing that makes the made watching the ultimate fighter so special. You get to watch these guys at a novice level grow to be these badass fighters that you just like, man, you know, I never would have thought this guy who could, you know, barely do this is now doing this. And that's what I see happening with Greg Hardy. Uh, I wonder if uh, if DeCastro could make this a fight. I mean, he, he's got some power. If he tries to make it a shootout early, I mean, you certainly don't want to bang with with Greg Hardy. That's that's his best opportunity. Or, you know, you want to see if you can stretch him out a little bit, maybe take it deep into that third round. But this could be a combustible pay-per-view main card opener. I certainly like the matchmaking here. This does not look to me like it's set up to be a Greg Hardy landslide. It feels like we're going to learn a little, you know, a decent amount more about where he's at from this. So shout out to the matchmaking on there. Uh, let's head into that 
preliminary side of the card. We'll quickly run through a couple. I can't, I, I love the crap out of the matchmaking that went into this welterweight bout of Cowboy Cerrone, Anthony Pettis, two celebrity names, household names. They both bang. They both badly need a win. And I talked to Anthony Pettis the other day. You're going to hear that conversation this week. You know, he took this fight on, on a couple weeks' notice. He's so bad. He felt so bad about his loss on that Cowboy Connor undercard in which he just didn't feel like against, what was it, against uh, Ferreira? He just didn't feel like he showed out at all to what he was capable of. Um, it was a second consecutive defeat. Carlos Diego Ferreira. Sorry, I, I had mm-hmm. too many names in my head. Uh, c- confused. He just wanted to get back in there against anybody. They gave him the name Cowboy. He's like, heck yeah. And of course, you probably heard Cowboy's interview with Bert Okamoto of ESPN where he's straight up being like, look, I froze against Connor. I was not myself. I just want to have fun again. No pressure. This fight is fun. But Rashad, I might, be, I might be as fired up for this fight as any on this card because it's just two old school guys you love getting in there and rumbling. You can't hate on that. No, you can't. And, and both these guys are, are throwbacks to WEC Classic. So this is like a WEC Classic we're getting here. And, and this is the kind of fight that both of these fighters should be fighting. And I would love to see both of these fighters fighting more fighters, more fights like this with guys like this because they still can fight, but they're competitively at the same exact level and, and, and they want to go out there and still show that they still have it. So this is going to be a fun fight. You know, these are not the guys who are at the top of the weight class, but at the same time, these guys right here, they're, they're amazing fighters. And um, this is this they're going to go out there and they're going to put on a good, good fight for the fight. I don't think we give Pettis enough credit. We talk a lot that, look, I mean, he's fallen from where he was as champion. He's 33 now. He essentially has been alternating wins and losses you know, ever since he lost that belt, that belt to uh, Dos Anjos, he had a little rough stretch there of three losses in a row. Then he's been like win loss, win loss, win loss. But they've all been so much fun to watch because there's times that he like underachieves, but then out of nowhere, like you saw against uh, Wonder Boy, he'll just give you a flash of what he used to be. I yeah. mean, his performance against Tony Ferguson in defeat, there was some crazy moments in that fight. So I give that guy a lot of credit. I went back and watched the first time he fought Donald Cerrone in 2013. I had forgotten that first round demolition by kicks to the body. I kind of feel like with Cowboy having so much to prove, this may end up playing into Pettis' hands to give us another highlight reel, to, you know, knockout. I don't want to see Cowboy to fall to four in a row in defeat Ooh. by knockout at age 37. And all four, by the way, coming in like a one-year window. That's not where I want to see Cowboy, but I kind of like Pettis' chances entering this one. I like Pettis' chances too because um... – he struggled. He struggled, but it's all about what you do when you struggle, you know, and he, he hasn't gotten frustrated with the struggle to the point where he's just like, all right, let me just go out there and try to make some money and do whatever I can. He still believes that he can compete. You know, he still believes that he's just missing that one thing in order to get him back to how he was. And that may be true. That may be very well true. Only he knows the answer to that. So, Going into this fight, I, I like that that mindset that he has. But Cowboy, on the other hand, you know he he's trying to get over that that embarrassment, that embarrassment of the whole Connor fight and everything that went into that. You know because, um, I mean, I, I'm sure for the longest time he he had to, you know, 
it's hard. It's hard. Whenever, whenever you go out there and have a fight that you, uh, you get devastated in, it takes a while to kind of rebuild yourself where you're able to be like, you know what? It is what it is. I'll get him next time. You know, that takes a long time. So I like the fact that he's getting in there and trying to re trying to get himself back to competing and making it fun again. That is a dangerous cowboy. And this gap between lightweight and welterweight, you know, we've always argued maybe there could be another division. Um, man, there's there's so many of these guys. Their names, they're lingering. They yeah. make fun fights. It's like this is this is BMF territory, and, the, and there's the spirit of the BMF in this fight. So right. I'm all in on it. Oh, uh, here's my upset of the of the week. Here's my here's my pick. This is a weird heavyweight bout. Alexi Olenek, Fabricio Verdum. They're both 42. Oh. Yet Verdum's been off two years with that USADA suspension. He got knocked out in his last fight against Volkov. I mean, of all the people with questions to answer, he's got a lot. Lennox's been very active. He's fought four or five times since you've last seen Verdum. And Rashad, tell me if I'm wrong. He's got that submission game where he may be able to offset the normal disadvantage that guys have going in there against Verdum. Verdum's a pretty heavy favorite here. I kind of like Lennox's chances here of lingering, hanging around, and trying to make this a fight. I, I I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. I hear the fact that he's got that Ezekiel choke, that front choke that's so dangerous and it's so hard to stop just because you don't even know. It's so hard to even know when he's setting it in. He's so good at setting it up. But I look at he may be able to neutralize him on the ground, which he probably will. And that's why I look for Fabricio to use some of that stand-up, that King's MMA stand-up. And when Fabricio actually tries to like do his stand-up without slapping or doing being lazy about it, he's actually got some pretty good stand-up. Like I, I sparred him a few times uh when, when Cordero was there, and he spars different when Cordero's there. So he was he wasn't being lazy about it at all and trying to go to the ground. So he was actually throwing the ones and twos and kicks and everything you know, with pro- like really good. So I know he has that ability now. And, and I know that he's going to use that because that's the biggest difference between him and, and his opponent. His opponent doesn't, his, his standup is, is not, is, is, is bad. It, yeah. <laughs> it ain't good. It ain't good. No, it, it's it's bad. Uh, I, I, I can't, I can't even put anything nice with it. I love it, man, but it's, it's not good. It's not good. <laughs> Uh, the women's straw weights always give me, uh, they always give all of us great fights every time out. That's the best. Seriously. It outside the men's lightweight women's straw weight. Thank you. Every single time when I see Carla Esparza and yes. Michelle Waterson on paper, yes. I'm like, yes, bring it. Now, Michelle Waterson, someone who you're friends with tough loss against Ioana. That was her sort of what we thought, quote unquote, last chance at making a run at the title. She's coming in there against Carla Esparza who, you know, former champion yet has had a lot of ups and downs since then. This could end up being a badass fight just from the fact that neither want to take that step back for good and become that name again. I'm in. I'm in on this. Yeah, me too. I I know for a fact Michelle's coming into this fight just super fired up, you know. And that fight against Joanna, she learned a lot. And you really learn what's expected of you of you in the weight class once you go against somebody who's achieved the level as Joanna has in weight class. You know, once you fight that champion, it's like, oh, okay. So this is what I need to bring on a championship level. Now that she knows that, now that she's felt that, now she knows what she needs to be. And I think that's been her her main goal since that fight. You know, she's been 
working tirelessly. You know, her coach lives with her, lives with her which is her husband. And, you know, they work all the time. So I think that they're, that she's been, you know, using that fight to just be like, you know what? Now I know where I need to be. And Cookie Monster, you know, she she's she's trying to uh, show she still got it, man. And, and you know what, Carla, when it comes to wrestling and when it comes to chain wrestling with the grappling attached to it, she's she's got she's seriously one of the toughest in the weight class. But she has to lean on that a little bit more. You know, I think that sometimes she doesn't. She kind of seems uncertain at what time she's going to take the fight there, and she takes too much on her feet. And with somebody like Michelle Watterson, who can move really well uh, lateral and every which way and really light on her feet, she's going to have to really put some punches together that gives Michelle pause enough where she's able to take the shot and, and take her down. Yeah, it's like Asparza was never able to put together again since winning the title and losing it to Joanna a win streak long enough to get back to that title picture. Yet you look over her resume. Here's what Carla Asparza has defeated in her career in terms of names. Nina Ansarov, Felice Herrig, Rose Namajunas, Juliana Lima, Cynthia Calvillo, Alexa Grasso. Like that, that's a, it's not, not a bad resume right there. I so, mean, Rose Namajunas alone, you know what I'm saying? It, but she's, she's going to be, you know, she's won two in a row. She gets a win here. Yeah, you're putting her right back into that discussion. So, Rashad, we don't normally go this deep down the card, but to round out the four fights, I'm going to read them to you. What jumps out to you the most? Middleweight okay. Uriah Hall, Jacare Souza, welterweight Vincente Luque, Nico Price. Bryce Mitchell and Charles Rosa at featherweight and kicking off the card, Ryan Spann and your former rival, Sam Halvey at light. Mm. <laughs> well, as much as I want to jump on a self Alvey tip, uh, I'm, 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 I'm going to avoid that one. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to say Uriah Hall and Jacare. And I say that just because, you know, we have a guy in Jacare who's trying to get back to, to what he used to be. And sometimes when you fight for so long and you compete for so long, mentally speaking, it just gets harder to do it. For whatever reason, it just gets harder to do it. And Jacare reached that point. Um, so he had to reconstruct his mindset. He had to reconstruct where he's coming from and, and, and why he wants to uh, compete. And um, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out because you have somebody in Uriah Hall who for the longest time has been upfront and honest about his struggles competing when it comes to from, from a mental standpoint. But now since he's moved over to Fortis MMA with safe Saeed and the rest of the client over there at Fortis, he's been looking phenomenal and he's been looking more confident in, in the, in the mental department when it comes to competing. So it's going to be interesting to see how both of these guys with tremendous talent mentally are able to go out there and, and, and do the thing. Yeah, and Hall's won three of four. He's been looking great at 35. Um, I'm excited for Thug Nasty, Bryce Mitchell, the rising 12-0 and featherweight for sure. And, uh, hey, Sam Alvey riding a three-fight losing skid. So, I'll, you know. Come on, Sam. Come on, he, Sam. Do it. Do it. for deserve that split decision against Sugar Rashad. But <laughs> we don't want to see him get the exit anyway. We want to see him get propped up long enough for 40-year-old Rashad Evans to run that back now that Sam's <laughs> talking right here, all right? Get Daniel Kelly up in the bullpen, too. That's He's right. Get him back. Bring him all back. I beat the former champ. You beat nothing, all right? <laughs> That's it. My hey, man. 249, loaded card. Rashad enjoyed breaking it down with you. Just can't wait to be normal again, right? There's so much uncertainty in this world. Shout out to the frontline workers. Shout out to people dealing with the illness, their family members. Maybe you've lost somebody. It's, it's not easy. Nothing about this is easy. But love him or hate him, 
Uncle Dana has got us back in business. And for our personal line of work, this is good. This is good again. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like you said, man, you know, shout out to everybody, the first responders, everyone who's, you know, given so much and, and, and lost so much during this very hard time that we're all facing. Um, but this is how we do it. We get through it together. We get through it with smiles. We get through it with laughter. And we know that the sun's going to come out and there's going to be another day. And uh, thankful. Very thankful. But uh, it's going to be a good 249. Huh? This is how we do it. A little Montel from 94. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, Please follow us on Twitter at State of Combat. We're going to have a big interview pod this week. Check us out. Rashad and myself on CBS Sports HQ, your 24-7 live streaming network all week. Breaking down these fights. Interview with Dana White. lot to get into ahead of this card. We'll have your covered on the back end as well. For Sugar Rashad, it's your boy BC. Fights are back. Enjoy them this Saturday. Two words. We out. We out. Should you ever set foot outside of the hotel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.